episode of War Talking Drums is brought to you by Los Cabos Drumsticks, Canada's number one drumstick manufacturer. With 22 models to choose from, you can get the right size, weight, and feel for your playing. Los Cabos Drumsticks. Hello and welcome to War Talking Drums episode 11. Today on the podcast, we have a very special guest. She's a Canadian metal drummer, originally from Vancouver and currently based in Montreal. She plays for such groups as Conquer Divide, Dead Asylum, and punk rock band The Anti-Queens. She has also toured with Napalm Records band Nervosa and plays for Mapex Drums, Los Cabos Drumsticks, and Sabian Cymbals. Please Welcome, Samantha Landa. Hey, Sam, how are you doing today? Good. Thank you so much for having me. I love that you guys have this amazing podcast, and uh, it's it's awesome to be able to catch up with you. Yeah, absolutely. that's great to have you here. I just want to say, Corey, that was a good intro, man. I'm I'm impressed. Oh, thank you. You, you thank rehearsed you. that in the mirror, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I spent most of my day <laughs> actually in front of the mirror rehearsing that one. So glad you like <laughs> trying it. not to cry <laughs> yeah yeah so man. sam so, um, um to, to start things off here thanks derek <laughs> uh, <laughs> Go ahead. To, to start things off here uh we're just uh we want to just talk about how you guys started playing and let the audience get to know you a little bit uh what got you into drumming in the first place yeah, I mean, I was a classical piano player, and I became a drummer. No, um, I'm Seems sure like a there's clear switch. There's gotta, yeah, it makes <laughs> so much sense. I wish that there was some sort of amazing story where I heard some incredible drummer and was like, "I need to do that," and then I got a set of drums. You know, uh, it was basically grade five band, like a meeting between the teacher and the parents, and talking about what we have available for grade six and there was no piano available. And I thought about guitar, but they didn't have guitar because it was a concert band. And it was like, all right, well, what is, I don't know, what's the most affordable instrument? And it's funny because normally <laughs> drums would not be the, the lowest on that list, but because they had a whole drum kit at school, which was rare for elementary schools in my area. And all I would have needed was a practice pad and a pair of sticks and like a intro drum book. And so it was, you know, it was kind of between that. And my teacher said that the most challenging instruments to learn were French horn and drums out of the instruments they had in the band. And then it was basically, which one is the most affordable? Well, you can pay whatever hundreds of dollars to rent a French horn, or you pay like 30 bucks to get a practice pad and a pair of sticks. So it was under the, it was under the, the, the caveat, I guess, that I wouldn't ask for a drum kit. And it was really funny because I was like 11 years old and I was like, sure, whatever. Like, I'll just play the drums at school. And I was like 15 or something when finally I'm like, yeah, I want my own drums. Like, (laughs) it's, I don't know. So anyway, I don't know. I I mean, I thought drummers were cool, but I I didn't really have, I didn't really have a big 
cool reason why I started drumming. I wish I did, but there you have it, concert band. And it just seemed like a cool thing at the time. And I was like, I want a new challenge. What's what's difficult and what's affordable? I mean, I might be a little biased, but I think it's pretty cool. You mean drumming? Oh, you mean the yeah. story? No, or- oh, just drumming in general. <laughs> I could just say like, oh, I liked Zach Hansen from Hansen. And he was the drummer, so... Sorry, I find it really funny that like you got into it because it was the least expensive. Meanwhile, I'm sure now if you're anything like me, you put so much money into your kit because it's like you're always breaking stuff and wanting more. Yeah, it's like, wait, one of these things costs how much? And and it, it's like there's so much gear. There's such a wide range of of prices and options for everything. I mean, it's amazing. Like, I love that about gear. But yeah, it's expensive. Like, this is not a cheap hobby or cheap livelihood. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, everything is just stupid expensive, every single little piece. So, yeah, it's funny you got into it because everything, it was the cheapest option. Yeah, I mean, like, number one, I guess I kind of told the story backwards a bit because, I don't know, it was like I wanted to, I wanted to know what was more difficult to play out of the instruments they had because I was like kind of a, I don't know, a little bit of a shithead, I guess. And I'm like, all right, what's, what's difficult? What's the hardest instrument to play? I can do it. You know, like I was really confident and maybe I was kind of arrogant. And yeah, the teacher said, well, maybe French horn or drums. And like out of those instruments, which one is the, is the most affordable at the time? And it was drums by a long shot because I didn't need my own kit. They had all the gear I needed. I just needed to have stuff to practice on at home, which by the way, I never did. And we can get into that later, but (laughs) I just wanted to play on the kit and I wanted to play on that kit at school. That's funny. I always wanted to be in in school band and play drums so badly. And like from the moment I like got into middle school, I was just always hounding the teacher. Like, can I play drums? Can I? And he was just like, no, like you don't play because he made me play trombone. And he's like, you know, you don't like your trombone. So I'm not like you're not going to practice drums. I don't like. Nope. And I just like never got to play it. And I feel like I always missed out on all this stuff because I never got to be in uh, school band. And that's so frustrating, you know, when like there's, I don't know what oh, the kid, the kid won't practice this instrument or they don't like this instrument. So if they try another thing, they're going to drop it like they do, like they did with that other instrument or like, oh, well, you dropped this hobby. So why would you pick up this other one? And it's like, well, really, at that point, especially if it's a teacher saying it, like, what's the difference to them? It's like they're not the one paying for it. They're not like, sure, they have to help teach you. But I mean, at that point, it's like, hey, this instrument's not working for me. Like, I'm really interested in this other one. You know, give me a shot. If I keep dropping, if I change instruments every month, okay, I get yeah. it. Yeah. See, I I loved playing trumpet back in the day, and I killed it. So I just <laughs> I stuck with that. I never even thought of drums as an option uh, back in the school days because I started playing guitar, and uh, I got into classical guitar in high school and everything, and we had courses for that. But uh, I accidentally went into the band class and uh, sat there for about a week while I, I switched to the classical guitar one. But yeah, dude, I, I killed the trumpet. Didn't even think about playing the drums. Plus, our, our drums at our school were garbage. So like I was like, ah, I, don't, I don't need to bother with that. <laughs> Pick you. We, had a, we had such a <laughs> such a nice sounding kit. Um, and it was an old kit. And the heads were really I don't. These heads were like magical. The whatever heads and whoever tuned that kit in high school, 
um, elementary school, I, I don't remember it being particularly good, but in high school, the kit, like those toms sounded amazing every single time. And I swear those heads were like 25 years old, but not a single dent. They were just like really gnarly, but they sounded amazing. And, and I just wanted to play, like they made you want to play that kit. And I feel like that's like, that's such a big part of it. It's like if the gear sucks. Like, oh yeah. It, it, you're not going to have incentive to play it. Not long ago, I got to, um, I got a new piece of gear uh, whenever I had a home studio. And so I finally got to practice with my drums mic'd and EQ'd and like with like a little reverb and everything. And it just made me want to play so much more. Like just hitting, I, sometimes I just go down and just hit one tom and just like, like bask in the sound of it because it sounded so nice. See, when I have my gear hooked up with that with like massive reverb, I just find I want to play just simple rock, like four on the floor beats all day long. <laughs> like I don't want to work on my blast or anything because those beats just sound so huge and awesome. I love them. Even when we were in the the studio last February, between takes and everything, I would just be sitting there playing a like stupid rock beat in between all the takes because the sound in my headphones was so good. I just wanted to play that all day long. So um, going from school band. What got you, what was like the first time, uh, like how long before you started actually like playing live with uh, other types of music? So I think I would have been 15, I think. Um, so I had a couple friends from another high school who had a band and their drummer was a summer camp counselor. So he was going to be away all summer. And they're like, well, we have a bunch of gigs that we need to play. Do you want to fill in? So I basically started as a session drummer, obviously not getting paid because we we're like 15 years old. But um, and then I recorded. Well, actually, yeah, I guess he I guess he decided to leave. I became the actual drummer of the band. We played a couple community center gigs because that's like the only place that we could play. And and then I did an album with them. I have it here somewhere. I need to upload it. Not for everyone to hear because it's it's not good. <laughs> like we were. We, I remember we recorded at this guy's home studio and actually the studio, I think itself was pretty good, but like, I didn't play with a click. I was a terrible drummer at the time. Oh my God. Like it's, it's just embarrassing. And like, this is like a, an album that we were, I, I think we were selling it. I assume we were selling it, but oh my God, it, this was like a kind of a grunge upbeat, almost like punk, not really like grunge punk rock kind of band. Yeah. So it's probably <laughs> about 15. I feel was, like we, yeah. <laughs> if you if you don't look back at like the album, an album that you recorded when you were 15 and cringe, I, I feel like that doesn't, uh, you know, that's not a good sign. No. Or you were like a prodigy and no, even prodigies probably cringe. Even if the rest of us would think that it's that it was amazing. They're, they're still probably going to going to hate it. <laughs> yeah. Good point. <laughs> my first recordings that I did as a drummer were fucking awful. Oh, my God. Yeah, when I, I listened like to them not long ago, I played for like this uh, hardcore band, like a bunch of my friends, their drummer didn't work out and we just started jamming. And then we recorded two EPs. The second one, the guy was like, I'll just I'm just going to trigger your kicks afterwards. So don't worry about it. Like and I was like, OK, that that's cool, man. And like back then, we didn't do any revisions, nothing. We got the mix and that was it. And then I listened to it. I'm like, the kicks are like coming in and out. It was triggered, but he just like slapped a, a trigger 
like something on it. And then if it didn't pick up the hit, it didn't pick it up. And he just left it. I was just like, this sounds like shit. <laughs> like kick, like double kick coming in and out, in and out. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah, they're they're very cringy to listen to. I feel like there's a lot of like good enough when people are younger and they're still learning and they're like, you know what? That's good enough. It'll be fine. And maybe it's like a false sense of confidence. I don't know if that's what it is just from lack of experience, but that I feel like that's, that's such a trend. I don't know if it's the same thing for you, Derek too, but I know for me, it was the same kind of thing with Corey where whether it was me or someone I was working with or in a band with, it was always like, Oh, it's good enough. And you just kind of, you're like, yeah, that sounded good. And then you just leave it and move on because I don't know, we're just confident and impatient. And then later you're like, wow, that was, that was horrible. Why didn't we say anything? Yeah. And yeah. With, with this guy and- too, he worked with a lot of like, kind of bigger local bands. So I think that we didn't want to come across as dicks and say anything about it because they're like, oh, this this guy knows what he's doing. Like, we don't want to offend him by saying that we don't like it. So, or telling him to fix something. But yeah, it wasn't until um, later when I started playing for bands that wanted to be professional that like, yeah, we would be very meticulous with our mix notes and everything and choose the people we wanted to work with, uh, you know, with an extreme, uh, magnifying glass to find the right people. Oh man. Even like that, like, I'm just thinking back to my first album that I was on and I wasn't even the drummer. I was the vocalist. And so I would just like blow my voice out every time we'd hang mics from the ceiling and, and hope for the best. But like, I think a big thing, kind of what you were saying, Sam, with, um, you know, I think a lot of people at that age, like whenever they're kids, essentially, it's just like the excitement of hearing what you're doing at all kind of overrides how good it sounds. And uh, Mm -hmm. I know that was the case for me. And I mean, obviously, uh, you know, I'm old now. So (laughs) um, back then, I think that like recording technology is so much better and more accessible now. Back then, it was like home recording was not easy to get done. And uh so I think that I would hope at least that 15 year olds these days, unless they're playing black metal, uh, it probably sounds you know, a lot better than what it did whenever I was recording. Oh, man. Yeah, I definitely like I don't I definitely don't think it's com- completely an age thing. That's for sure. I mean, there's 15 year olds out there today who are like tech tech whizzes, like doing amazing things, making covers, recording albums, like m- making mixes, being DJs, doing whatever. And, and they're just incredible. And, and, you know, they know how to use the technology that we have now. And it was really out of reach for us. And yeah, I think Corey, what you said is probably very accurate where if you've got someone recording you and, you know, you're new to this or you're, you know, I don't know, you're like a more of an amateur local band and you're working with, with someone you're looking up to, it's like, well, you don't really want to push back too hard. Mm-hmm. Because you maybe you assume, you know, they probably know best or oh, I don't want to bother them. I don't like it, but maybe it'll be fine. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. I wasn't dealing with him either. Like I was very much so kind of just the drummer in that band and the other guys kind of took care of everything else. So it was very much so like they they got it and were like, yeah, this is it. Like. I'm like, OK, let's. Let's print it, I guess. Like, I don't even want to listen to it. <laughs> like, uh, let's get it out there. Uh, like, I did, and at the time, like, yeah, I just wanted to play drums. Now I'm very much so involved in the recording process and, and everything like that. But 
yeah, back when I was, I think it was, that was probably when I was like 17. Um, yeah, I didn't know anything about recording. I didn't know the first thing. I didn't even understand how it worked. <laughs> so I was like, all right, if you can make this happen, go nuts, man. I don't, I'm not going to ask questions. Make me sound good. <laughs> um, and he did. Not. So, uh, so sam you've uh you know clearly come a long way since that first recording um you know you've toured all over the place and done a bunch of session work and stuff um one thing that we uh tend to talk about a lot in the show uh, this is our i think our first episode was called on stage disasters and we love talking about times that just everything you know a, a show that you remember where it just sucked everything fell apart um, you know, your gear broke on you or something happened that, uh, just was not ideal. I've got two examples. I have two examples. There's, there's way more than that, <laughs> but the two biggest ones I can think of right off the top of my head. Um, well, I had them now. Give me a sec. <laughs> Cause now I'm like, wait, what about that other time? Now I've got like 10 in my head. Okay. No, I know there were two that I wanted to share. Uh, one was in Calgary. That was with Dead Asylum. And we were playing at the distillery, which I don't think is around anymore. And there was like nobody there. And I think that whoever was promoting it at the time, or maybe we had booked it through the venue and maybe they were expecting, like, there was a miscommunication on if anyone was promoting it, first of all. And they put us on as the headliner. And we were like, I think this is at the time we were a new band. We'd never played in Calgary. We're like, no one knows who we are. And you're only putting us on the poster. And anyway, so we get there, there's like four or five people there. We know every single one of them and that's fine. I played a lot of shows like that, but that was just like the start of the night where we were already feeling kind of like, Oh man, like this is going to be, it's going to feel like a practice and that's fine. But, um, so there was one song and I don't know what happened, but I choked and I screwed up the structure of the song and I stopped and by then, at that point, like I'd been playing in bands for a while. At that point, I should have known better than to stop, but I did. And I was mortified. And the other guys are still going. They're looking at me like, what the hell is going on? And I'm like, we need to restart the song. I'm like, no, we need to stop. Like, stop. Like, cut it, cut it. And and like, oh, my God, I would never do that today. But um, and I'm glad there were only like four or five people who witnessed this. But it was probably to me one. And we had to restart the song. To me, it was probably one of the biggest personal disasters at a show because it's like literally train wrecked the song after like a verse and a chorus and restarted the song and it still hurts me to the, to this day and I think that at the end of that show our vocalist or one of the other guys like wasn't feeling well or he was like ex- overexerting his voice or something I think he went and threw up right after like it just was a mess that whole show but the other one was a gear I've had so many gear failures, um, whether it's my fault or someone else's, but the big one was when I was touring with Nervosa in Europe and we were playing at this little tiny underground club in Estonia and we were, we're using backline for all of, all of these shows. And, um, especially these Eastern Europe gigs, it was like, whatever, like we didn't bring a backline with us for those gigs. It was like, whatever the venue has. And, you know, it's, they always promise you, Oh yeah, we got a great, we got a backline kit. I mean, we've all seen the seen the backline drum memes. This was basically that in reality. The and I don't want to knock the venue. It was a 
it was kind of a cool, like dark underground place, but man, this is the worst kid I've ever played on in my life. <laughs> and the, the, the throne was held together by uh, a kick drum beater <laughs> to like keep it at the right height. So it was like this, I have a picture of it somewhere I can yeah. find it, but so it had that. And that wasn't even the biggest problem. That was just kind of a funny fix I thought. And so I'm on this sketchy riser that's shaking the entire time. The throne is shaking the entire time because it's held together by a kick drum beater. The heads, from what I recall, like I don't know if it was the Rezo heads that had tears in them. Like it was an absolute mess. Like literally those memes, when I see these memes about like, yeah, we've got a backline kit and it's a picture of a destroyed kit. That is literally what this kit was like. And there were several times in the set where I almost fell off the riser because the riser was unstable. The throne was unstable. Everything was at weird angles and heights and there was literally no way to move them. Things were like rusted into place. Um, I played like absolute garbage as one would expect on a kit like that. Oh man, it was brutal. And I'm so thankful for the fans who were at that show who were all so nice. Didn't say a thing about it. We're all like, great set. It was great. So I, I appreciated that because, oh my God, it was, <laughs> I don't know. It it was like the the worst gear I've ever played on. I don't know if this is like the kind of story you're looking for, but for Absolutely. me, these are just some of the memorable, like on stage moments where I was like, oh my God. I, I mean, I have one more. I'm not going to share, but there was a mortifying moment. If you've ever had a bandmate who has embarrassed the band on stage and said some stuff and kind of gone off and done some crazy shit, uh, yeah, there was a time I almost, I almost quit my band after a, a big show we were playing because I had a, a bandmate who went a bit crazy on the mic and brought, aired some personal dirty laundry. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, that's uncomfortable. Um, yeah. that, uh, <laughs> that shitty drum kit sounds, uh, sounds shitty. <laughs> yeah. That There's, sounds um, real. Shitty. That sounds more like a onstage nightmare than just a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, for, for have you guys, like, what's the worst kit you guys have played? Like, has it been at that level of, of bad? No, I don't think so. Um, That's good. That's no, good. I've I, shared kits before, but, like, it was definitely in, like, um, nobody's here. We're going to have a ton of beers, and it's going to be more like a party than an, an actual show. So it was like, ah, I don't it, the caring factor was pretty low, <laughs> but other than that, like m for the most part, I always bring my kit to every gig. So, and in, in, when we were touring Europe and everything, we had a backline for the whole tour. So it, it, it worked out pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I think my most uncomfortable kit was actually at Vakken because I'm the same. Like I, I typically use my kit everywhere I go. And then at Vakken, like it was just, Things were shaking around. All the symbols were just I was using their symbols and I use like really big crashes and they only gave me like I use like 20 inch crashes. They gave me like 16 inch ones and they feel so different. Um, and it was just like everything just felt bad. <laughs> like I'd, everything felt foreign and weird. Like I'd hit the kick drum and it was just like all pillowy and soft. And like I'm used to a really tight skin. And uh, I recall that one being pretty, pretty rough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now speaking, yeah, uh, always. So speaking of uh, touring with Nervosa, uh, I understand that leading up to that, it, you only had a certain amount of time. It's a very brief amount of time to learn the set. Um, and I'm just, I'm just curious how all of that uh, came to be and how 
how it was learning a set so quickly for uh, a fairly major tour, at least at that point in your career. Yeah. Uh, so it was, I'd, I'd, I knew the band, like I knew of the band. I'd, I think I'd seen them on the cruise and things like that. And so um, one of them reached out to me on Facebook and said, Hey, we've had, you know, I don't know if you know us, but we're this band and we had our drummer, our drummers just quit and we're in Europe right now. And we're about to go to North America to do a Canadian and U S tour in a week. And she's not, she's already said she's not going to do it. She's going home after this, the last couple of dates here. So is there any chance you're available to fly out? So I was living in Vancouver. Can you fly out to Montreal in a week? Or like, could you try learning a couple of our songs so we can see like if it's going to work? And I, because I was self-employed and, you know, I worked from home and I could just kind of leave whenever I wanted. So the timing worked out for me. Um, but I mean, I was stressing because I'd never had to learn songs this quickly. I was like, oh, my God. But because I knew I knew the band, like I, I liked the band. I knew it was thrash. I was like, OK, it's not like tech death or something. The structures were relatively simple. Um, and I thought it was a really cool opportunity. And I wanted to help them out. I mean, it was all, all these factors. So I basically just drummed for two days straight. Like, no, I, I barely ate anything. I was just like trying to learn a couple, just a couple songs at that point. Cause it was basically, can you learn these four songs that we think are the hardest songs? If you can learn these, we'll buy you a plane ticket. So I sent them the videos of me playing said, great, awesome. What a relief. Let's do it. So then they sent me a plane ticket. Um, and then over the next couple of days, I had to finish learning the set. And the, there was one song I learned on the plane. Um, but I think a lot of it was, I mean, the fact that there was nothing in the songs that I didn't already like, there weren't any skills I didn't already have. So that made it much easier. Um, it was mostly just learning the song structures and uh, just running through a lot of it in my head was almost as important as it was running through it on the kit. So, I mean, I was on, you know, on my drums for the next couple of days in a row, a couple hours a day, you know, I would do the morning on the electronic kit at home and maybe I'd go into the space and a couple hours on my acoustic drums and, and then like learning that last song on the plane and just making sure I knew the structure. And then I had kind of a, I wouldn't say charts because that would be giving myself way too much credit. <laughs> I would basically like write, <laughs> I would basically like write out the song structure, you know, verse chorus times two, blah, 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 and a couple of notes, but that was it. And so I had my notebook with me on stage pretty much the first week where I had like my references and, um, that's basically it. Like we'd never played together. We had, we managed to squeeze in a really quick one hour jam before the first show. Um, but that was the first time I had to learn songs that quickly, quickly. It was the first time I had to play gigs with people I'd never met. Um, I mean, obviously it worked out, you know, then they asked me to do Europe with them. We did that tour with destruction. That was awesome. Um, yeah, that's, that's the story basically. That's uh, that sounds extremely stressful. It was, it was, I was, I literally, it wasn't that I didn't have time to eat. I was too stressed to eat. I was like, I'm not hungry. I literally, I can't, I can't even, yeah, I barely slept, but, but it was so good. Like, I'm so, so glad I did that. And I think some of the saddest, like, honestly, most of the satisfaction of doing that wasn't even about like, oh, I want to get this touring experience. It was like, I, I wanted to help them. Like, I think that that was a big part of it is I felt it felt really good to help them because this band, you know, kind of got screwed last minute. Their drummer quits. They've got another big tour coming up in a week. The drummer says they're not going to do it. Good luck finding someone. It's like, 
you know, I wanted to help them. And um, they're still some of my good friends to this day. And I think it, you know, yeah, I would do it again anytime. It's amazing. I feel like, um, you know, one of the best ways to get better at stuff is to push yourself out of your comfort zone as well. And that definitely sounds like you did there. Um, I was going to ask you, like, what tips do you have for people uh, to deal with the stress? But then you said like not eating and, <laughs> and freaking out. So. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like, I definitely like, I, hmm. I mean, the whole there's definitely things you could do that I wasn't doing at the time to deal with the stress, especially because I didn't know what to do. I'm just like, I was so wrapped up in what I had to do and getting it done. I wasn't thinking about how stressed I was or like how tired I was. I was just thinking, I just, I have a job I need to do and I need to do it. And that was all, I didn't even have time to think because I, I mean, and there's plenty of pro drummers, drummers, uh, leagues, leagues, leagues ahead of me in terms of their careers who, who do this regularly. And, you know, whether it means learning a set on the plane or, you know, you are writing drum parts to go into the studio in three days. It's, it's not, I didn't realize at that point how, common this kind of thing is and if you can pull it off it's totally worth pushing yourself and going getting outside of your comfort zone and uh you know you have to take care of yourself too for sure um once I hit the road everything was good you know it was just leading up to it I think I didn't really know how to handle it but I didn't even have time to think and I think that that was probably a good thing like I wasn't there I wasn't there I wasn't mentally stressing about it, really. I was definitely nervous, but, you know, I think it's my body was stressed because it's like I had to just fit all this work into a short period of time. I'd say mm -hmm. that was the most, the biggest challenge for me. It's almost like you don't realize how stressed you were until after it's over. And then you look back and you go exactly. like, man, that was, that was difficult. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I can't imagine having to do what I did with more challenging songs. Uh, like, mm. I'm thankful that I was learning thrash. Uh, if it was some sort of like prog or tech death or something with like a ton of parts and like time signature changes and tempo changes and all this like crazy stuff. Uh, uh, yeah. So if you've got the skills to do it, it's worth taking the risk. A hundred percent. Other drummers should do it. And, and drummers are such a hot commodity. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I do recall uh, seeing you on that tour and you killed it. So it was really impressive knowing that you had like such a short period of time to learn it. Uh, I don't know how long into the tour it was that you're. Well, I guess you met in Montreal, right? So it, it, it was early. Toronto was very early in the yeah, tour. Yeah, very early in the tour. And you yeah. you killed it. Like I, I was. Thank you. I was fucking impressed to be <laughs> perfectly honest. Like. Yeah, overall, like the band as a whole was fucking tight. So yeah, that was yeah. that was awesome. Yeah, that means a lot. Thank you. Yeah, that's really cool. So, um, you know, obviously you're not uh, touring all of the time and gigging all the time, especially these days, I imagine. Um, so nope. I guess I this is a good time there. to start talking about. Uh, <laughs> I guess yeah. this is a good yeah, time to start that talking about for you guys some practice uh <laughs> things um yeah so we were uh before we you jumped on the call Corey and i were having a look at an article that you wrote uh for drumeo about practice and ways to kind of trick yourself in and motivate yourself to practice that uh, i think this has a lot of really good information that 
uh, would benefit people to hear. Because, I mean, I know right now I'm barely practicing. <laughs> it's just like I look at my drums yeah. and I'm like, Ugh. I don't even want to move the laundry <laughs> off of them, you know? <laughs> it's not. Even, it's like when you have the chair beside your bed and the laundry just moves to the chair. And anyway, instead, it's the drums. But That's pretty much my drum kit right now. Yeah. I mean, I it's this whole global pandemic thing. This, you know, we're living in unprecedented times, you know, as they say. And not everyone is going to be motivated. I think a lot of people are struggling mentally during this time, just trying to wrap their heads around uh, not being able to live their life the way they normally would, or maybe they can't achieve the goals they normally would be working towards. And especially musicians who are used to gigging and recording and touring and all these things. And so I will never make somebody feel bad for not practicing, especially at a time like this. Um, I think that it's hard for people to feel motivated when they don't see the payoff anytime soon. If people are thinking, well, why am I practicing? If I don't know, what if gigs don't come back for two years? What if I can't tour for, you know, for a long time and, and, or no one's going to see or hear this. Why am I doing this? So I completely understand that kind of mentality. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with a mindset shift. Uh, part of the reason that I wrote that article, and I mentioned this as well in, in another podcast, um, Oh, that wasn't a podcast, Instagram live, uh, was that I was a lazy, lazy drummer for so many years. It's almost embarrassing to say how many years I've been playing drums when I only really feel like I've been practicing and working on my skills for the last couple of years. Because if I had been working and practicing from the get-go, I would be way better by now. I'd be like, <laughs> I mean, I'd like to, I'd like to hope I would be anyway. So, um, but a lot of, so a lot of my tips come from how to motivate, how to trick yourself into practicing, how to trick yourself into being motivated when you, when you aren't, when you don't see a payoff at the end, especially if you're extrinsically motivated, if you're the kind of person who, uh, you need to see some sort of external reward, whether that's like a crowd cheering at you or somebody, I don't know, I don't say praising because I mean, it's true though. Like it feels good, you know, when people compliment you, but it's like if you get your if you need kind of an external reward system to motivate you right now is like the hardest time to practice drums or do anything when you're like what am i getting out of it if you're not doing it for yourself you know how can you learn to do it for yourself how can you learn to to be more of a motivated player so i mean some of the tips just had to do with changing your mindset so a lot of people when they're practicing uh, they don't, they're not comfortable with sucking. And this was a big thing for me for a long time. And somebody, I had a couple people say this to me, just talking about accepting the suck. You need to just let yourself sound bad because if you don't sound bad when you're practicing, you aren't growing, you're just maintaining. And I think that's a big part of it. If you are trying to grow as a player and you're trying to, you're practicing in order to achieve goals that are outside of where you currently are, you need to sound bad at least for a little while. If you sound amazing every single time, even if it's something you're learning, you you learn that did, that was not English. Even, even <laughs> if it's something new that you're learning uh, and you sound great right off the bat, well, it's not challenging enough for you. So it might be a new beat. All right, cool. That was easy. Well, speed it up or add something else, you know, add another element to it to make it more complicated because otherwise you're not challenging yourself and you want to be having fun. 
and it's not fun to suck. Uh, and so one way that I structure my practice routines and I suggest other people do too, it's like when you are a manager or you have a manager and there's like this, uh, compliment sandwich feedback kind of concept where when you're giving somebody constructive feedback, you start with something positive, then you go to something, you know, this is something you need to work on. And then you end with something positive. So if you structure your practice routine where you start with something you're good at and it makes you feel good and you're having fun and you remember, this is why I play drums. It's fun. Uh, and then you work on stuff that you might suck at for a bit and just accept it's going to suck. I'm not going to be happy right now. It may not be super fun, but I'm going to get there. And then you end your practice with something fun. Maybe you jam through a couple songs, you know, you can play so that when you leave, you're like, yeah, I don't suck. I'm still, I'm an okay drummer. And you're more motivated to come back and do it again, because if you suck your entire practice, even if you're learning and you're practicing correctly and it, you know, you're not going to be motivated to do it again. You're like, man, that was way too difficult. Why would I put myself through that torture several times a week or every single day? So um, I find that that really helps people. It worked for me. I know a lot of other people that that works for. Um, and so I think just the way you structure your routine is a big part of it. Uh, accept the suck. Know that if you want to be improving and growing and not just maintaining, that it's you need to have challenges. They have to be realistic, obviously. Like you still have to be working your way up in increments. You can't just run before you walk because that's a huge mistake so many of us make. Also, I was one of those trying to play this complicated stuff when you don't have like the foundations down. So you play something complex, but your time sucks. I can go into that. Forever. I know that all, um, well, all too well. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that a metal? Is that a metal drummer thing? Like, is that is that just a metal drummer thing where we're like, we want to play this really complicated, fast, crazy stuff, but like you don't want to play slow? I think I think it is. I remember being a kid trying to blast beat. <laughs> Yeah, well, when I really started playing, I started really focusing on drumming to play for Crimson Shadows. So it was like, I immediately have to play fast. Like, that is my job. So that's all I practiced and that's all I did, right? I never learned how to play slow uh, up until more recently when I joined like Johnny No Cash. I was just like, all right, I guess I got to slow everything down. But I actually had the, the same issue where I I would practice something fun at first and then I would work on like my blast beats or like my getting my tempos up or like a new kick technique or something and I would suck so much that I would just set down my sticks and, and leave and not sit down at my kit for a couple days because I was so frustrated with myself and I had to break from that and realize like okay uh like I will get better than like the next time I sit down, the things that I struggled with were actually came a lot easier. So there, you you have to realize that you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. You, that That's just a, a fact of, of life and, and playing drums. So you can't get too in your head about those bad days and let them kind of take over your whole practice routine. But I like that idea of ending with something fun. So I, yeah. I'm definitely going to start um, incorporating that into my practice routine because uh, that, that definitely it'll, it'll just you'll leave your practice feeling good. And, you know, that's why we play. Right. Is because we, we love what what we do and 
playing music and playing drums is, should be fun at the end of the day, right? So, yeah, yeah. Totally. I mean, I, I, I see it also like, I don't know if you do, you, you guys have dogs, right? Both oh, of yeah. you? Yeah. I, yeah. So, you know, in, I don't know, maybe it's a Caesar Milan thing, but where if your dog is dis- is focused on something, that you can kind of give them a little tap or something to just like kind of snap them out of it. Um, it's almost like that for, for drummers, where if you're just hyper, you are super frustrated. You're sucking. You're so frustrated. You're like, I suck. Why can't I get it? This is so difficult. Why do I bother? You start getting in your own head. It's almost like at that point, I'd almost say, okay, stop for a sec. Go and play one song that you, you're good at or do one exercise you're good at and then come back. Like It's almost like you just need to snap yourself out of it and then okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go back and try that again, but like, give yourself a, a break and do something that's fun and you know, you're going to nail it. And then you come back. And I, I think that that works too. I think sometimes we just, we get into the mindset that we just need to snap out of it. And then once we come back in, uh, hopefully it will be better. Yeah, totally. I actually feel like yeah, I've recently hopefully. kind of gone through uh, a little bit of this. Um, <laughs> We uh, so for the longest time I had a really and I've talked about this a number of times in this podcast a really hard time with mid tempo double bass like you know one sixty to one eighty and um, I was getting so frustrated uh, just like Corey would say you know you start play, playing stuff you're good at and then you go into these tempos and you, I would get so frustrated that I would stop so rather than having a shit sandwich like you described I would have an open faced shit sandwich um, <laughs> which just leaves a bad. <laughs> You know, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth because <laughs> there's no you don't have that second piece of bread to absorb the shit. But what really ha- like something happened and I got really frustrated. And finally, I was just like, you know what? I need to fix this issue. And what did it for me was um, I spent more time playing at these tempos, obviously. But I also made a point to spend more time playing around those tempos where I could actually do it as opposed to just trying to force myself to do something I couldn't. And so. You know, I'd have a practice session and just like you were saying, I would be playing, I'd enjoy it. And then I'd start doing some work on the stuff that I had to that wasn't quite as fun and I wasn't as good at. But then once I did that, then I would go and play some songs and like enjoy it. And then once I started doing that, every time I walked away from the drums, I felt good about it. And I was excited to go back and start playing again. But I think that's really yeah. like because I mean, it just every drummer I talk to seems to be really hard on themselves. They always want to be better. They, and there is no good enough. I mean, I, I think everybody feels that way. Um, but it's really important to kind of step back sometimes and just appreciate where you are and, and be happy, like, like of where, how far you've come. Yeah, definitely. I think part of that is trying to film and record yourself if you can, and then watch your, watch your videos from like two months ago. And you will see an improvement as long as it's something you're working on and you're actively challenging yourself, you will see an improvement, you know, weeks, months, whatever it takes. Um, but I think a lot of improvement is so small. Like we don't notice it cause it's so gradual until much later. So if it's been, if we've been working on the same thing for like two months and we feel like we're not getting anywhere, you know, if we recorded or filmed ourselves two months ago and we go back and watch and listen to that, I think that we will see, how far we're we've come we say wow i wasn't playing at that bpm two months ago or i i wasn't that tight two months ago and i think that that's really important is to quantify your progress to like prove to yourself oh i am improving i didn't feel like i was but i am Mm -hmm. totally it's really easy to get stuck in the whole headspace of like 
yeah, I improved a little bit, but I'm still not where I want yet. And I, I think that that can be, um, you know, discouraging to some people. Uh, now, I know one like thing that uh, you actually mentioned in this article as well is the idea of kind of like keeping track of your progress and writing, um, you know, keeping a journal or in this case, there's a pretty cool looking little timesheet here uh, for your practice. I know I've done this in the past. Uh, I don't know if you have Corey or not. Uh, no. Uh, I keep, I keep everything in my head. Like I, I have my certain routines that I do. And like back when I was practicing a lot, I I'd be, I'd just do it every night. So they like five, six days a week, uh, the same routine. Uh, I've gotten out of that now. Uh, cause I just have like ton of stuff to record and everything. So my practice comes when I have to actually record stuff, but <laughs> sadly enough yeah. for any, <laughs> For anybody who's listening who hasn't seen the timesheet that Derek's referring to, it's basically giving yourself a couple of columns to track your progress over time. So you'll have a column that has the date. You'll have a column that has, let's say, BPM. I'd say this is the most common way to do it. You're trying to increase your speed for some sort of technique uh, or something. So you have the date and the BPM that you're at. And maybe you have other columns that you add as well. Maybe you have like a minimum and a maximum or whatever. But uh, and your, your BPM can be your top BPM, or it can be like, I nailed it at this tempo on January 25th or whatever. And, and so every day or at every practice, you, you put the date and you put the tempo that you've, you've achieved for that particular exercise. So you might have one of these for each different exercise you're working on. Um, but it's just an easier way to look at how far you've come. So, I mean, I'll usually play the same routine as well, but I don't always remember, was I playing that at 180? Was I playing at 140? Was I doing that at 210? So I have it written down and you can visualize your progress. So you can see like that was 140 on, on those three days. Then it was 145. Then it was 160. Then it can, went down a bit. And you can kind of see the gradual progress of your tempos to really see, you know, you've proved to yourself uh, that you are making progress when you might not think about it, or you might not remember, like you might not remember, oh, I was only playing at 140 three months ago and now I play at 200. Like you might not think about that, but it's easier to think that way and say, wow, I've come a long way when you can see, you know, you've been keeping track of it. You don't need to do this. It's more just if you don't believe that you're improving and you need to see it uh, in a chart form, then this is just one way you can do that. And we will, totally. we'll put a link to this in the show notes as well for anybody who wants to check it out. Yeah, definitely, definitely make a point to check it out because it's got a lot of really good information. Um, and it's interesting, just the idea of, of writing all this stuff down, because I know that um, something I, I mentioned to one of my my students that I, I give lessons to is um, quite often progress can sneak up on you. and You don't really realize it. And I know I've, you know, I've had time and I've told them this as well. It's like, you know, we're working on certain tempos and or certain techniques. And a lot of people seem to be looking to learn it and then get it and like i've heard them say things like oh there's something i'm doing wrong and i, I i've been guilty of this myself but i find that a lot of the time it's not necessarily that you're doing something wrong it's that you haven't given yourself enough time to actually develop this this technique or the skill and it's one of those things that it's like by the time you get it it's not going to be like a, oh yeah i got it it's going to be a oh hey i've been doing this for a couple of months now and i just realized that and so you know writing down your progress and making notes about this kind of stuff will kind of let you know, yeah, I am slowly improving. Otherwise you're going to have to just wait and then realize someday. And it's not going to be exciting exactly. anymore. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's so true. That's it's. I've dealt with the exact same thing, and you don't realize it until later. And your brain is so much faster than than your body is with this stuff, like with drumming. And so much of drumming is muscle memory. It's you just have to train your muscles to do it a certain way that you don't have to think about it. But see, your brain might understand it, but it's your your brain is super frustrated when your body can't do it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I feel like I'm going to like all these places now where it's like I'm getting PTSD of uh, of some of these practice sessions I used to have where I'd like throw my sticks and be like, I don't want to look at my drums anymore. And then I come crawling yeah. back a few days later with like a bouquet of flowers and apologize to them. Yeah. You're like, I'm sorry, I mistreated you. <laughs> well, I'd have times that I, I was getting frustrated and then I drop a stick and I was like, I guess I'm done and just like drop the other one, walk out. I'm done. There's <laughs> just two sticks lying on the floor like, uh, I gotta walk back in, pick them you- up. Uh. <laughs> yeah, but it, what's so weird is like with drummers being hard on ourselves, it's like the whole idea of we're never good enough, but we also, so we know that we need to practice to improve and we need, we know we need to work on it to get there, but we also will get frustrated because it's not easy. And then we end up freezing almost. And then we feel like shit because we're like, I haven't practiced today. And, and now I'm a piece of garbage because I haven't practiced. And I'm never, I'm always going to, you know, I'm never going to hit those goals because I'm not practicing. But instead of practicing, you're sitting there feeling sorry for yourself. And I think that that's something we really need to be aware of when we're doing that, when we're freezing and we're like, I don't feel like practicing because I feel like I suck, but I have to practice to not suck. But I feel like I suck, so I don't want to practice. And it's this kind of like downward spiral that's really yeah. dangerous for drummers. It's a revolving door of just uh, self-deprecating <laughs> shit going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get that. And it's like, I find, uh, oh, I had a, you know, I, I, had a, I had a, what I'm going to say was a great point, and now it's just gone. <laughs> Completely like spaced no. out of that. I'm blaming Corey. All right, fair enough. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is easy. It's really easy to 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 just get down to yourself about this stuff too. And and sometimes it's it. I know it personally. It's taken me a long time. I've been playing for almost twenty years, and it's only been in the last maybe year or two that I've started kind of being a little bit kinder to myself in regards to, to practice. And um, not only that, but listening to my body and realizing that sometimes when you suck, it's because you just need a day or two to take a break. And mm-hmm. I'm just it's weird because it seems so obvious to me now after so long. But um, yeah, like there'd be so many times where I just would not understand why I couldn't play something or and a lot of it was impatience and trying to rush like like you were saying earlier, uh, you know, wanting to blast faster than I should have been. Uh, and I just remember like getting really down sometimes about it and questioning like everything about like my existence <laughs> because I couldn't, you know, play a double bass pattern at 170 right yeah shoot i also had a really good point that i <laughs> that just fell by the I'm wayside sorry, it's my fault uh, it's okay <laughs> we'll just blame Corey. okay <laughs> it's fine um we, we were just right because you were just talking about getting down on ourselves oh man okay i'll remember it later <laughs> now i'm gonna get down on myself about that 
<laughs> I can't believe I couldn't remember what I wanted to remember, and now I can't remember. Man. <laughs> and I find it's kind of ironic, too, because it's like a lot of the time drumming is kind of like, you know, that thing I think that most of us would do to that would be considered our happy place, you know, like that's what kind of relieves stress and makes you feel good about yourself. And a lot of like, you know, I'm assuming it's the same for you guys. It's like, you know, that's kind of like my identity. Everybody I know knows that I'm a drummer. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. And. But it's funny because it's like, you know, despite it being that much a part of us, it can also be like a source of a lot of uh, I don't want to say darkness, but like it could be a pretty like difficult thing to deal with sometimes and it can like it can pull you down if you're if you're too hard on yourself and uh get you into some pretty bad places yeah Mm -hmm. i know what i was i remember that reminds me what i was going to say and that was i think that drummers especially younger drummers or or new drummers get hit with a lot of contradictory advice in in a lot of areas and one of those areas because before you mentioned sometimes you just need to break we get told if we don't practice every day, or what was it? There's the saying where if you don't practice for one day, you notice. If you don't practice for two days, your band notices. And if you don't practice for three days, the world notices. So, you know, you get told things like this, which is, is awesome when you're thinking about, okay, practicing is so important, you know, keep like maintaining the, the muscle movement and everything. But uh, it, it, that doesn't work for everyone and it doesn't work for everyone all the time. Sometimes, like you said, sometimes you're pushing yourself too much or maybe it's sometimes it's a mental block. It's that you're just always getting frustrated when you're trying certain things. Sometimes you need to take a couple days off. Maybe you take a week off and sometimes people will actually play better when they come back. And I think the important thing, of, of course, is coming back. Don't say you're going to take a couple days off and you don't play for six months. You know, it's probably not what you want. But mm-hmm. I think that people need to do what's best for them, and they need to be willing to try different things. There is no right or wrong answer for most of this stuff. Uh, and I just try and tell everybody that you just have to do what works for you. And and even certain techniques will work for one person. They really don't work for another. And then you need to try something else. So if, you're tr- if you've been working on a technique for months and you just feel like you're not getting it, it's not going to hurt to try something else for a bit and just see maybe that's going to work better for you. Because we're all built a little bit differently. We're all human, but, you know, some people maybe have, I don't know, an easier time with, like, I don't know, a swivel technique and other people do, you know, a double strokes or whatever. But if something really isn't working for you, don't be afraid to take a break or just try something else before, you know, don't give up. Don't say it's because you suck and you can't do it. Yeah, Mm, totally. Well, it's also um, really hard because certain people will practice 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 and hate what they're practicing and then it'll force them to just stop playing altogether rather than like telling yourself to take a break and i know even for myself uh over the past little bit i have taken breaks of like a week at a time where i won't touch my kit and just life gets busy and i kind of just it's always there but that way when i come back and sit down to work on stuff it kind of brings my passion for it back. It's like missing. It's like being away from your loved ones and then being reunited, like going away on tour and then coming back to your girlfriend or, or husband or whoever. Right. And then being reunited and, and finding that passion again uh, together that, yeah, that's how I, I feel with my drum kit. So <laughs> yeah. 
So I, I think it's you a know, great idea to take breaks. You know, what's kind of funny is I, I found, um, you know, back in September, I, I started going to school full time and that really cut into my, the amount of time I could practice. And I was pretty much only playing my drums twice a week at band practice. And I feel like that period of time, whenever we were actually able to jam before lockdown happened, um, I proved like the most I have in a long time from that. And I think it was largely because I would go in and do a three or four hour rehearsal and get like tons of practice and then be forced to take like three days off and I wouldn't touch my drums for three days and we'd go in again. And then I just felt like every band practice, I just felt better and better each time. And it was really counterintuitive because just like you said, you know, everybody talks about how you got to be playing every day and you hear like, I remember being a kid and reading forums and people talking about like, yeah, I spend like five hours a day practicing and like, I couldn't do that. That would kill me. <laughs> I'd be useless after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have anything coming up uh, that you wanted to announce or send people to go see? I, know I wish I could say I had gigs and tours. That would be great. <laughs> I know, like, me too. Enjoy That'd my, killer, my right? virtual invisible, <laughs> invisible <laughs> tour of Europe. Um, well, Conquer Divide has a new single that will be coming out. I don't have a date for that, but we have a new video a socially distanced one. Um, Auntie Queens is working on a new album, but I also unfortunately don't have a date for that. So I think that's the soonest. Yeah, it'll probably be the Conquer Divide video and single. Right so on. you can uh, keep an eye out for that. Yeah. And we're, we're going to make a point, Excellent. obviously, to uh, attach tons of links uh, in the description of this so that people can can check out what you're doing. Um, but if you want to give them a quick, uh, rundown of where they can learn about you and see what you're doing and, and hear your bands and everything, cause you got a lot going on. And, uh, if I tried to list it all, I think I would ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably, I'm in the bands and I, and I have these accounts and I would probably ruin it. Um, but <laughs> let's try drummers. this anyway. Well, yeah, I know. We're just like, man, how do I do this word thing? I'm a writer too, which is ironic, but, um, yeah, you can find me on Facebook at uh, Sam Landa Drums. You can find me on Instagram at Slanda Drums. I'm on Twitter. I, I'm the most active under Sam Divides. Uh, I'm on TikTok, Landrissian, but you don't need to put a link to that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let me see. What else? Um, I've started... Actually, I do have a bunch of YouTube drum covers that will be coming out. Uh, I'm trying to do one to two a month, and I've got a bunch that I've just filmed and recorded, so there will be a more active YouTube channel. So on YouTube, I'm under Slanda Drums. And yeah, I think those are the main ones. Wow, you're busy. I'm like sitting here just struggling to feed myself and shower uh, occasionally. <laughs> what? <laughs> Food and hygiene? And like I've, I've just been drumming. I, I don't I don't eat and shower. I mean... Yeah, I just rub myself <laughs> down with no time for that. once a day and I'm good. <laughs> I'll clean myself with a rag on a stick. <laughs> Well, well, I think thank that's a you good spot much. to end it then. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Sam has bad hygiene. No, don't worry. Anybody listening to this, I do shower and eat. You don't have to worry about me. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be the name of this episode is Sam has bad hygiene. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the best clickbait ever. People are like, what? It's just like the truth behind Sam's bad hygiene. Everyone's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Breaking what? news. You got to listen right to the end, too. So it's perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and you make sure they can't scroll. They have to literally listen to the whole thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know that people, 
or listen to this and probably don't really know what we look like, but I'm sure that they think we sound smelly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, oh, you've got metal drummers talking about drums and hygiene. I mean, yeah, they're just BO leaking out of their speakers. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we yeah, we didn't even get to talk about it on this this episode, but I know that you've talked about it in other episodes, like touring and like the smell of <laughs> of a, like a metal band on tour. Like that's that's a thing in itself. That's like you need someone needs to bring like a one ton truck full of Febreze for every <laughs> single tour. Yeah, our van got really gross. I remember we picked up a, a friend in uh i think vancouver and like we had to drive him somewhere so we hopped in and immediately you could just tell that like we didn't even notice the van smell but you could tell as soon as he got in the van he was just like Ugh. yeah well the worst the worst is when uh you're used to the smell and then you all get out for like a long period of time and then you get back and you're like we smell like this like once your nose has been you're like you've cleansed your palate and then you get back in the van yeah, that's why nobody wants to talk to us Oh, yeah. Oh. Those summer tours where you got five dudes sleeping in a van when you're touring down <laughs> south in, in August. And we slept in the van almost every night. Like, it gets rank. We don't allow anyone in there except yeah. for us. <laughs> I know we, we've been saying we miss touring, but that's like one of those little things I don't miss. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah. I'm good. Yep. <laughs> good times well thank you sam for joining us on the show and uh we'll have to do this again soon yeah for sure absolutely it was a pleasure and hopefully listeners can get something out of it and uh it's always nice catching up with you guys well it was it was a pleasure and thanks everybody for listening and you know what i'm gonna steal Corey's catchphrase keep drumming Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram. And if you're feeling especially kind, we would love it if you would share this with a friend or two. If you have any comments, questions, or even suggestions for future shows, please let us know. You can fire us a message, and we'll do our best to get back to you. Catch you next time.